0: And welcome to another episode of the Imperfect Athlete podcast. Um, Today, I have a guest and I'm actually going to cut up the conversation I have with her into two parts. In the first part, uh, which is today's episode, we'll talk about her career as a track and field athlete. And in the second part, we'll talk about her work as a mental performance consultant. And especially, we'll be talking about stress and anxiety in sport. But before we get into that, I want to talk about my uh, mistake of the week. And actually, this week, it's uh, a little bit different because it's not one of my own mistakes, but it's something that I see a lot and I did want to address. So I had a, um, a, a consultation with a client and uh, this person, apparently, I said something that, that really hit home, which uh, I try to do whenever the, the time is, is there for it. And uh, this person uh, started crying, and it really, really got emotional. And one of the things that was really interesting about it is that this person kept saying sorry for um, for showing emotions and for for crying. And I had to keep telling this person, well, that's why you're here. Like it's it's okay to to show your emotions. And it dawned on me that like, this is a mistake that I think a lot of people make and that I actually see a lot. Uh, it's interesting that in a situation where part of the point of being there is to show your emotions and be uh, open about your feelings and your thoughts, that people still apologize for, for displaying those emotions. So if you have any, uh, any emotions and you want to share that with people in the right moment, I truly believe that there's no reason to, uh, to apologize for that. Um, we should be more okay with, with allowing people to show those emotions. So that was something that really stood out. I know it's not a mistake that I made, but um, definitely to, something that I wanted to, uh, to voice here. So please be, make sure that you are open to uh, uh, showing your emotions, but also when you're talking to somebody, you're open to receiving somebody else's emotions. Now, as I said, uh, this will be a two-part with uh, with my guest today. Um, she's a uh, mental performance trainer in Orange County, California and the founder and owner of Tora Mental Performance. She's also a former NCAA track and field athlete. And I'm pretty sure she did hurdles. Uh, so, welcome Madison Farnsworth. How are you doing, Maddie?
1: Hi, I'm good. How are you?
0: I'm very good. So.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: I'm, I'm excited to have uh, have you on here. Maddie and I uh, studied together. That's why I, why I know her. Uh, we were in Greece together doing our masters and had long uh, conversations about topics that we will definitely be talking about. Um, so without further ado, let's get into the, today's episode. Now, Maddie. Why don't we start at the beginning? Can you explain a little bit when and how you started doing track and field?
1: Yeah. um, So I participated in uh, track in PE class, actually, back in like seventh grade. My PE teacher had known my brother, who was a cross-country runner. She convinced me to give track and cross-country a shot, so I did. And then my freshman year in high school, my mom woke me up on the first day of summer vacation at 7 a.m. and said, I forgot to tell you, you're doing cross-country. So cross-country was more of the ease into it, and then that's when I discovered track, and that's when I ultimately fell in love with the whole idea of track and hurdles and all of the above. So kind of where I started with that.
0: Yeah, so you, you kind of transitioned from, from cross-country into uh, to track. What is it about the hurdles, uh, especially that that attracts you to that discipline?
1: I feel like it's it's a little cliche to say, but I felt like you know I I was, I don't know, when I first started doing hurdles I was probably like four eleven and super short, and it was something that I wanted to conquer and I just something I wanted to try, and the second I did it, and I had a co- I had a really good coach in um, my freshman year of high school, who helped me with my form and I mastered it by the end of my first season. And I think I just, I like the idea of being able to do something like that.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Because, um, you mentioned, you mentioned your height. No, I know you're not the the tallest person. I can imagine it would be an advantage in hurdles to be a bit taller, right?
1: Yeah. Um, you can have the strides for it, uh, but it definitely has a big impact when, um, if you have bad form, you know, somebody who's jumping over the hurdle versus hurtling over it, the closer you are and the lower you are to that hurdle and the more, I guess, aerodynamic form that you have, the quicker you are to get over it. So I have the speed. People may have had the length and the stride.
0: Okay. So it's, it's more like a technique based, uh, discipline then. Definitely. That's awesome. So Take me to to that first um, track and field practice. You, you get there and you see that hurdle, and like you said, you're four eleven. How how high was the hurdle at that point?
1: I believe it was thirty six inches high. I, mean, I think I'm sorry. I think guys were thirty six. I think girls were thirty inches. So
0: that's almost
1: the, three feet tall.
0: Yeah. So that's that's still about seventy. You know, sixty five percent of your height, basically. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> Which is an, an impressive feat if you think about it. So, yeah. What, what are some of the first mistakes you, you remember when you, when you tried this discipline?
1: When I first tried, I think I, I mean, don't get me wrong, I fell a lot. <laughs> um, everyone falls going over the hurdles and um, it's, you just dust it off and get up and try again. Um, but throughout, I, I was really hard on myself as an athlete and I didn't. I never appreciated any of my performance, whether they were good or bad. And then um, I mentioned I had a a good coach my freshman year, but when I made it to my senior year, um, I had a not so good coach who told me things like you can't do that um, when I said I wanted to try to do the relays, and you know he would say things like don't fall before I'd go out onto before I'd go out into the line, so things like that. I just. I, I didn't know how to reflect on a, on my performance to actually determine if it was a good or bad one. Um, so I just everything was a mistake to me. Mm. Um, and then it wasn't until college when I actually had a coach that would ask me and question me as to, well, why do you think it was bad? And when I would try to explain, and if I couldn't come up with something, it was other than it just wasn't good enough. Um, he'd be he would try to help me address ways or find ways to address that. So I'd say just being really hard on myself, I never appreciated anything that I did.
0: And that's a a really interesting uh, mistake that I think I hear more often in athletes is the the mistake of thinking everything is a mistake, that it's never good enough. Uh, And what is interesting is uh, a lot of people seem to lack the ability to see the difference between perfect and uh, good enough for the moment. Where, right. sure, uh, perfect performances are very rare. I mean, in, in my career as a as a soccer player, I can remember two nearly perfect matches, probably. I don't know how many perfect races you have had in your career.
1: Um, so after I had my coach in college who started teaching me how to reflect and things like that, um, I would definitely say my very last race was... In my eyes, it was a perfect race. I Mm -hmm. mean, I didn't get first, but it was the best (laughs) time I ran. It was the best form. It like just everything in my eyes was perfect about it. Um, But yeah, I think that one sticks out the most.
0: And and that's really interesting for someone who, uh, you know, mentions this first, like, oh, I was really hard on myself. And I wanted everything to be perfect to then be able to name one race in your entire career. That you would yeah. <laughs> classify as actually being perfect, so that mistake is is often uh, pretty detrimental to performance and, and well being for athletes. Because, well, like you said, I had two. You probably had one over a whole career uh, as an athlete. That's not a lot to go on if that's what you're striving for every single time. Um. Mm-hmm. So, how did you? How did you? Um, cope with that a little bit you mentioned your coach started asking questions what were the kind of questions you asked that made you be able to identify uh, good performances and not always strive for perfect
1: um after a race so I I would cry a lot after my races because I was so upset about him um and he would come up and say why are you upset I, I didn't do a good job that's why I'm upset well why do you think you didn't do a good job I didn't, I didn't PR. I didn't, you know, but you got first, but it wasn't good enough. Okay. Tell me why. Well, I didn't, and I couldn't come up with a reason as to why. So then I, he, it was, he was like trying to get me to understand that it was like, it's all in your head (laughs) that look, there's always, there's always room for improvement. You know, nothing's ever actually perfect. Um, but he would try to get me to do things like that. But then slowly my answers started turning from, it just wasn't good enough to, well, I noticed my trail leg wasn't where it was supposed to be. I hooked a couple of hurdles. So that knocked off a couple of seconds. So I think I need to work on this technique in order to improve my time. So like my answer started turning into more actual concrete reasons as to why I maybe didn't do so well. Um, And I was able to fix that and address it so then the next race I actually improved. So it it kind of just those questions started to turn into or my answer started to turn into more, um, I guess, reason, actual reasons than just what I thought I did wrong.
0: And did that um, only help with understanding performance and what you needed to do or did that also help in terms of your subjective feeling about races?
1: Can you ask that again? Sorry. Well,
0: so I guess what I'm trying to ask is you, you mentioned like, oh, my answer started to change. Right. Right. But you still felt like the races weren't good enough. Is that correct?
1: I guess what I mean by that is it's, you know, when, because he started to ask those questions and I couldn't come up with an actual answer, that I started to look at my races a little differently and started to realize that I was making my... Like I was thinking my performance was bad Mm. when it probably actually wasn't as bad as I thought it was. Um, And I don't know, maybe I started to get irritated (laughs) that he was asking me and I like, you know, more frustrated that I couldn't come up with an answer. And then finally, (laughs) when I was able to pinpoint something that, you know, I during the warm up, I could have done a better warm up because I was, you know, my my hamstrings were tight or whatever Mm -hmm. it was
0: no and it's it's a it's a very common thing where we uh like performance evaluation and and self evaluations are often uh, very vague when people say when I ask people how did you feel about this race they say okay or yeah. and and they have troubles expressing exactly what they feel about it and um, one of the things I do with my clients is I, I ask them about um over, like, since I last saw you, what were your strengths? And that's a, a tremendously hard question because that requires detailed self evaluation, but not only detailed self evaluation, but also switching around the, the focus most people have, which is, oh, I could have done this better and this better and this better. And now it's like, but what did you do well? And it takes people a lot often quite a bit of time before they can come up with an answer that is detailed and, and and like descriptive and an answer that I, that I truly like believe in, which is, and I found it really interesting when you, you mentioned that process from going from sort of just feeling that nothing was good enough to actually being able to, um, describe what you felt and, and what was going on was, was really interesting. um, so you, you get to college and, and obviously a lot changes when you go from high school to, to university, right? Yes. What are some of the, uh, the obstacles you face transitioning from, from high school to, uh, to the NCAA?
1: Um, the rules are a lot stricter for sure. Um, luckily I went to a high school that was, um, I guess very it was very disciplined um the coaches didn't put up with you know any crap from the athletes you didn't show up to practice and you didn't compete and that's how it was and so when I got to college I had that mentality that I want to compete so I'm going to show up to practice you know I'm gonna eat right because it doesn't feel good like you know I, I don't feel good when I eat certain things if I don't sleep well like my coaches in high school taught me you know about hydration and nutrition. So. Uh, going into college, I already had a lot of that foundation already set, which was which was nice. Um, but they they focus a lot on um, you know you as a as more of an athlete um, mm-hmm. and a student athlete at the same time. You know if your grades aren't doing well, you actually get in trouble for it. Where in high school, I feel like that was one thing I didn't really have to. Um, like my coaches didn't really care about it that much, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So
0: so that kind of adds an extra pressure to to the performance.
1: Yeah. You had to attend a certain amount of study hall hours, um, certain amount of counseling hours. You had to check in to make sure you were on the right track for classes and you know, that your your counselors are taking care of this and there's for athletes and or you're you know, you're just doing athlete life, so Hmm. you know like kind of a wholesome person there I guess
0: (laughs) yeah were there any uh any mistakes you remembered going into that that you after a while you realized you weren't doing the right thing
1: uh going into college Mm -hmm. god mistakes a lot (laughs) 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 um I think yeah I think I'd I'd so in college, I was an athlete. I took 19 units of classes, um, and I worked two jobs, and lived 20 miles from school. So I it was a long commute, and we had weightlifting at 7 a.m. and uh, practice from it was like 2:30 or 3 o'clock until about you know six or seven, and then I'd sit in traffic all the way home. Um, so I think I could have definitely. <laughs> you know, stayed a little more focused. And I, I put a lot of my energy into being an athlete, you know, like everybody does. I think I just didn't manage my time as well as I think I Mm -hmm. could have. And, you know, it's like, you know, if I, I just eat cafeteria food that maybe wasn't the best for me or things like that every once in a while, like I just didn't have a, a lot of, self-care I guess is what I'm trying to say like I I knew to hydrate and I knew that eating right was important and things like that but sometimes I just didn't have time Mm -hmm. so I guess um more time management and focusing on the things I needed to focus on and things like that
0: yeah and time management is a it's a very hard skill for especially younger athletes it's really hard to to keep up with and and understand what it takes to be a to be a an, an athlete and a student and support yourself and and stuff like that, I yeah. can definitely understand that that was a that was a hard, hard, um, a challenge. So
1: yeah, we we don't get, really have a life.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, the the life is being a student and being an athlete.
1: Yeah, which is exactly
0: um, what I, I sometimes hear from uh, some of the athletes I work with too is there's this understanding that, like, but then I don't have time to hang out with my friends and stuff like that. And, you know, you you do question whether like, if you want to be a student athlete, whether you, you know, should accept that that is what you are. And that comes with consequences in terms of social life and and other things.
1: Yeah. And just to add one more thing to that, um, is you know, just like the recovery process and how important that is. I don't think I did a whole lot of that as an athlete. Um, Even like active recovery, anything like that. I I mean, I stretched before and after practice, but that was about about it. I never took a day off. I never, you know, just relaxed and shut Mm. my brain off or, you know, did any deep breathing. It was always go, go, go. So I think that's, I think that's definitely one thing looking back on that i I definitely encourage other athletes to do. And one thing I wish I did more of is just, you know, well, back uh, to that self-care to take care of yourself.
0: Yeah, and, and I do agree that it is something that, that is really hard when you're in that go, 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 push myself all the time kind of mentality that in order for um, the training to actually you know get you better, you you need to – You need to take the rest, right? The way training works is by training, you actually get worse. But then if you take the rest afterwards, that's when you get better. So it's really hard to understand, I think, from a a sort of the way it feels perspective is that, you know, laying on the couch for a few hours on Saturday morning is actually making you a better athlete and and making you feel better and making you able to do more rather than less. I hope you're enjoying the podcast so far, but I would like to take this moment to tell you a little bit about the work I do. I'm a professional mental performance consultant, which means that I work with teams, coaches, and individual athletes to help them improve their uh, mental abilities. This can means, mean that I help them deal with um, issues and problems, such as anxiety and motivation problems, and I help people to increase their performance through the use of mental skills, such as visualization and goal setting. If you are interested in increasing your mental performance and want to know a little bit more about what I do, please find me on different social medias as JWK Mental Performance Training. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube. I have a lot of different content out there that can teach you a little bit more and if you're interested in working with me, send me a message. Together, we can figure out the best way to maximize your mental performance. Now, let's get back to the podcast. Now we get to the, um, to the part of the podcast that is always challenging for, uh, for it, whoever is the, uh, the guest. Can you um, take me through one of the, like, the biggest mistakes you made during or before or after a raise and what you've learned from that, that particular mistake?
1: Um. Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> um. My biggest mistake. I don't. I like yeah, I don't even know if I would want, would want to call it a mistake, but it. I didn't have the confidence in myself for the hundred meter hurdles. Um. So typically, when you do, um, the hundred meter hurdles, it's three steps in between each hurdle. Mm-hmm. Um. I was a five-stepper, so I was slower. So it wasn't my favorite event because I was slow at it and things like that. Um, But I also wasn't confident in it. And I think that had to do with that I didn't really want to do it either. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, you know, I I had a coach that was was supposed to, I guess it was technically my last race. Um, But my coach actually, that was when he pulled me aside and he goes, Hey, don't fall. Good luck. <laughs> of course, he got into my head, and going over the first hurdle, I tripped, fell, and I touched the hurdle, the second hurdle, with my hand. So, which disqualifies you from mm-hmm. the race. So, I was super pissed, but I was mad at him.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I think I, I could have, you know, and that was in high school too. So I, you know, my coach was everything to me. But I, I think looking back, I wish that I. Would have learned how to shut that out and just focus on my race and what I knew I could do and be confident, just I'm going out there to run my race because I want to, or you know, whatever it was. I think learning how to block out things like that and uh, refocusing a little bit better on my ability Mm. to compete.
0: And I think that's really interesting because it's easy to say, oh, the biggest mistake I've made during a race is you know getting caught in a, in a hurdle and going flat on my face, and you know it's embarrassing. And those are definitely situations that I hope no one ever really gets into. but what I find is is the mistakes people tend to remember are, are more like yours, where it's I got into a situation that I realized I didn't handle properly. Um, right. your coach got into your head and it was maybe a combination of like, I don't really want to do this event. I'm not great at it. The coach got in my head and then you let that get to you, which affected your performance. Right. Um, so when you think back to that, what is something that you've, you've learned from that or, or how are you approaching those kinds of situations where you know, there's a few things that aren't going your way, uh, differently
1: now? Um, yeah, <laughs> I've definitely grown some thicker skin, <laughs> um, a little bit more hard-headed with with stuff like that. And um, I also work in the service industry, and I've worked in the service in- industry for almost 11 years now. And, you know, you're going to have people that are going to tell you you can't do something. You're going to have people that will say you're wrong and things like that. And it's, you know, I I think just learning how to look at what your performance is and how you're doing that. Okay, wait, am I doing something wrong? Like, let me reevaluate here. Nope, I'm doing this right. Mm -hmm. Okay, that person wants to think I'm doing it wrong. That's fine. You know, and kind of brush it off and keep keep going forward. And I think if you try to listen to what everybody says all the time, you know, not everybody's going to be happy. Not everybody's going to like what you have to say, but... Sometimes you just got to focus on what you're trying to do and be confident in your ability of what you want to do in order to be successful. And I think that's definitely one thing I've learned from that, you know, because if I would have taken a deep breath and have been like, well, that's not very nice and laughed it (laughs) off and then, you know, took a deep breath and focused on my performance, maybe I wouldn't have fallen. Mm. So, and
0: and I think that ties into what we were talking about with the the self-evaluation skills, Uh, as well where now you say like oh i that that experience almost makes me recognize that i'm not not everyone's going to be happy and it's not all going to go my way and i can't keep everyone happy and then combined with the your ability to, to to sit down and say like am i doing this right what am i doing do i stand by what i'm you know what i'm about to to try or or whatever makes a situation in which you're pretty good at evaluating whether it's just somebody you know who is who you're you know not gonna make happy, or if it's a genuine concern that you have to take into account, and um, mm-hmm. for for people out there, um, I've actually seen this process uh, in, in real life when we were uh, back in Greece. Um, whenever uh, Maddie was working with a team, and whatever something was happening that wasn't you know that, that wasn't great or whatever. I would get a text and would say, you want to go for a coffee? And um, we would go for a coffee at one of the many uh, coffee places in our in our town in Greece. And uh, Maddie would just go through this process and I would basically sit there and not say much, uh, but she would go through this process and go through what the situation was, what other people were thinking and how she evaluated that. And basically my job was once in a while to say yes and, and say, yeah, I think, I think you're right. Or maybe I think, you know, the... The other person has a point there, and then after half an hour, when our, you know, when we drank our coffees, we would be like, okay, I know what to do now, and then we would go our separate ways. So, if anyone um, hears this story and hears this, this kind of like process of, oh wait, somebody's not going to happen if I do this. I should sit down and, and self-evaluate and figure out whether I still want to do it or whether this po- person has a valid point. If that's a difficult process for you find somebody to go for a coffee or or, or whatever with sit down for or, for 30 minutes or, or longer and just uh, l- make that person listen to you and that adds another reflection part to it which makes which makes the process a little bit easier um, so I definitely encourage everyone who who wants to try that out uh, to to uh, go ahead and, and do it that way um, now definitely. I, I, I want to Go to one more thing about your uh, about your track and field career, which is I know that you've uh, you've suffered an injury that uh, has been pretty pretty severe. Um, if I'm correct, to the point where you weren't able to compete at the uh, at your highest level anymore. Is that correct? Yes. Um.
2: Um. Yeah.
0: So, can you tell me a little bit about like what happens and and how? What are some of the mistakes you made while dealing with sort of getting to grips with the the injury and the recovery process?
1: I had two foot surgeries on my left foot in the exact same spot. Um, the so the first one was probably the worst of the two. Um, it was my so my left leg was my leg that I pushed off to go over the hurdle with. So I put a lot of pressure on it um, and it started to hurt. And I think, I don't know, after a few months, I, I went to the doctor and he just said it was over usage, gave me some ibuprof- strong ibuprofen <laughs> and uh, sent me on my way. And it, it was about nine months later, I think it was, almost a year. Um, I finally told him, I'm like, look, this hurts really bad. I'm like, can we just do the x-rays? Did x-rays and found out my foot was broken um and so I, he ended up going into the surgery and i had the bones were just done in there so i had ran on it for probably about a year <laughs> with it broken um so i think my mistake with that is not listening to my body sooner um i felt pain and just kind of powered through it and dealt with it i was very uh, no pain no gain and that definitely is one thing that i've learned is if your body's telling you something it'll hurt more to not listen to it.
2: Um,
1: And, you know, we were talking about recovery and things like that. You know, if I would have either rested it or if I would have demanded the x-rays when it first started to hurt that bad and things like that, that maybe I wouldn't have had to have a surgery or things like that. And I wouldn't have been out for a season. So definitely uh, not listening to my body sooner is my biggest mistake.
0: And uh, for for the people listening, this is this might sound familiar if you listen to the episode with uh, with Derek, uh, who had a similar kind of uh, problem where he didn't listen enough and then tried to come back too early. Um, and in, he mentioned um, it's really hard to to understand uh, what that's like because you're in this mode of just like constantly pushing and and, and being really tough on yourself. Do you feel like that? Played into part where you're in this, this mindset of, I'm just going to work, you know, as hard as I can. And then everything that stands in my way, is just going to have to wait.
1: Um, yeah, I, I was very impatient. Um, for the first surgery, I, I was, I think I was bedridden for two, two or three weeks. And then it was like the next week I could just walk around my house. The next week, I could like go to the store or just go to dinner, like just you know mm-hmm. outings for an hour or less. Um, I I think I missed the first two weeks of school with that too, and that was very frustrating because you know you know in college you make it to the third week of school, I feel like you you missed everything <laughs> already. <laughs> um, so I I was very impatient with the recovery process, but, um, I learned real quick that I had to listen because there were a couple of instances where I pushed it too much and the, I, it was painful. And I think I, I passed out once from it. <laughs> um, so that sent me back to the doctors and then I was back on bed rest and things like that. Um, so it's, it's very frustrating and it, it is hard to understand when the doctor is like nothing for six weeks you know, it's hard for an athlete to understand that, you know, what do you mean? (laughs) Nothing. I don't understand. (laughs) It's it's
0: weird. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it ties in back to that, that recovery part that we talked about earlier, where listening to yourself and, and taking the time to actively recover is, is a skill that I don't think we should take for granted that is really hard for a lot of people especially when you're in the in the business of pushing yourself and your body to the extremes to get the maximum performance out of it that's a really really tricky uh, tricky thing to to be able to do um, yeah. I, I think that for a lot of athletes that are listening here um, there's a lot of good lessons to to draw. Uh, here. And I, and I especially really like your, your story about, you know, having to learn uh, how to do self-evaluation and to understand that you're not going to make everyone happy. Uh, it's not, you know, going to be perfect and really actively work on um, that self-evaluation part. Like, you obviously were lucky. You had a coach that you know helped you develop that skill. But for everyone who's listening, who uh, who feels after they've performed in, in whatever um, sport or, or capacity you 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 uh, give your performances afterwards, ask yourself the question: Why are you not happy? And if the answer is not a detailed, specific. Account of what happened during the performance. Um, The next question is Am I just not happy because it's not perfect? Or am I not happy because of something that happened? And when you keep working and keep asking yourself those questions, you might still not be happy with a lot of the performances, but at least now you're not happy for a valid. reason that you know you can explain and that is the first part to to being able to then grow from that so i definitely think that is a that's a a mistake that people can uh, can learn from this was the first part of my conversation with madison farnsworth um, in the next episode, we will continue this conversation and talk about her work as a mental performance consultant. And to, together we'll discuss some things about stress and anxiety. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to rate the podcast uh, wherever you're listening to it. And I want to wish everyone happy holidays and I hope to see you again in the new year. Thank you for listening to the Imperfect Athlete podcast.